Today's episode of Titus and Tate is a Father's Day spectacular. Our fathers, Mr. Frazier, uh, Mr. Titus, that's what we're calling him right now. Um, we're going we're gonna to get them on the line in a little bit, uh, and we're going to talk to them, and I still have no idea if this is going to be a good idea or the worst idea we've ever had. But in honor of Father's Day, we thought, what better way to, ha- to, to honor our dads than to give them airtime to, to talk about how much they hate us i guess i don't know where this is gonna go Tate. i don't know what's <laughs> we, gonna happen here. we have no idea in fact my dad's already reaching out asking all the que- the awkward questions you would imagine what should he call your dad uh they've yeah. never met in real life we our original idea was to to come and bring them out to california we were gonna play golf together yep. we were gonna be watching you know probably some nba basketball some u.s open would the, probably yeah. be going on oh it was gonna be a great yeah. time and yep. uh, of course we're not there right now so this is our makeup for what was or what could have been I, so here we I, are i could see your dad protesting and just not calling in because he can't shake my dad's hand and he's like i'm not gonna i don't want to talk to him until i shake his hand so i'm not gonna call in and that's the way to like that's the way he sets the tone for people you know what I mean? yeah it's not gonna yeah. come through words it's gonna be coming yeah. you know through a handshake and like direct <laughs> eye contact and uh, uh, can't wait so we, we are excited for that. We usually, full disclosure, when we do these little pre-setup things, we usually do them after we've done the interview. So we kind of mm-hmm. like, as we're setting the stage, we can kind of like hint at where the interview is going to go. We have not talked to our dad yet. So we we are truly like on pins and needles as to how much they're going to. Uh, this is truly a shot in the dark. We yeah, probably yeah, sound really yeah. excited right now, but yeah. in the, it's probably going to yeah. lose itself uh, in the middle of um, the show. So, get so that, that is coming later. Before we get to that, uh, also in honor of Father's Day, we are going to do our top five father-son duos in college basketball history. Um, there are a lot of them, Tate. There are, mm. are many. I, I guess, like when I was thinking of my top five, I had like two or three come to mind really quickly. And then as I started, Brad Calipari, playing, yeah, John exactly. Calipari, those are the two that first came to mind, I'm sure. As I started diving in and, and re- researching a little bit, I was like, oh my God, there are a ton. And um, it's going to be fascinating to see how you see it uh, because I, I really struggled to come up with my top five. So, uh, we're going to, we're going to go through those today too. It's going to be a lot of fun because, uh, like you said, I had my, my own top five and then we had to research the research, the great research department of Fox sent us an update with all the people. And I'm like, Oh my God, I had yeah, no idea yeah, that there yeah. was, I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I forgot about them. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so then we got the numbers and, uh, I've crunched those numbers with my own mind. And I've got a top five, and I'm ready to go. Um, finally, I am finishing my week-long stay in uh, Colorado, Boulder slash Denver. I'm kind of staying in between, dipping my toes in both. Um, I toured. I got. I got the recruiting visit to to see you today. Um, so I am going to give my recruiting recap uh, of of my official visit to to see you, Boulder. I think is what they call it. The, mm-hmm. uh, they, they do the thing like like Carolina does, where you say UNC Chapel Hill, just in case anyone's confused. Um, so I went to see you, Boulder. I got to see all the facilities. I got the rec- recruiting tour, and I'm going to break that down and give my thoughts on the bathrooms, the the hand warmers they got in there, the the uh, all, all that kind of stuff, all the jazz. Um, I'm going to give my CU uh, update at the very end of the show. So if you're into that, stick around for that. Um, we're going to get to all of that. We have an absolutely loaded, fun show coming. But first, our dads. All right, it's Thursday afternoon. Our fathers are patiently waiting on the line, Tate, and I'm scared to make them wait too long uh, l- lest they yell at us. So uh, let's rip through our top five father-son duos in college basketball history so we can get to the uh, the entree of the show, which is uh, our dads um, hijacking the show. Uh, do, do we want to set the stage with this in any way? We, 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 we tend to do that with these top five lists. Uh, a lot of caveats, a lot of uh, here's what I was thinking, here's how I arrived at this. Is there anything you'd like the people to know before you get into your top five? 
I think there's two different classes uh, in the father-son duo. There is the father-son duos that the son played for the father, mm-hmm. which I think is a totally different than just, you know, I played at Miami and my uh, my son played at Oregon State. If we're talking about Rick Barry and Britt Barry, um, I'm talking about like the McCallums. Like Ray McCallum goes yep. and plays for his dad at Detroit. That is a totally different experience. Brad Calipari, Avery Johnson Jr., yep. all these guys that go and play for their dad. Doug That's McDermott different. might be the, the the best one to do it. Or Pete Maravich, some might say. <laughs> some may say. Uh, maybe our fathers would say that because they yeah. were probably born probably that era with, with, with Pistol Pete. But, yeah, that's a different class. And then there's also okay. just, like, the players themselves and their individual accomplishments and uh, being able to judge those. And for number five, I'm just going to get right into Is there anything Let's from you? Yeah, I don't think there's anything to say. Let's just dive into it. What, you, you want to start number five? Jump yeah, right number, into it? All right. Yeah, number five. So like we said, we, I had a preconceived list in my mind immediately. I'm thinking number five is Doc Rivers mm-hmm. and Austin Rivers. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, well, you know, Doc, retired jersey. Retired jersey is a big thing for me when we're talking about legacies. Okay, okay. I like okay. retired jerseys. That, that's a big, it's a big one for me. So number okay. 31, retired at Marquette. Uh, Sub-zero as he was nicknamed when he went to Duke, Austin Rivers. Uh, he, he, you know, obviously I was at the game to Will Bonnet <laughs> when he hit the shot in Chapel Hill. I fell to my seat. I was depressed. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, all right, number five, they deserve it. Austin Rivers had that big moment. Obviously, Doc has been great, even into his coaching career. Austin's had a, a pretty solid career uh, in the NBA, is now a veteran in the NBA. So I was trying to give the benefit of the doubt. And then I had in this mind a Lee Corso moment where it's not so fast. Um, and you know, I was trying to be unbiased and, uh, I think I'm actually correct in this. It's the Dawkins family. So number five, throw out the rivers, Johnny Dawkins and Aubrey Dawkins are now number five on my list. Uh, and that is how, you know, it's not biased uh, because Johnny Dawkins, 37 and three at Duke, he started a culture. Uh, he obviously, you know, groomed into what coach K has been able to build as far as his coaching tree. Johnny Dawkins would want to the first seeds that was planted out in the college basketball world went to Stanford, you know, made a moment. And then the last time we saw an actual tournament, 2019, people forget mm-hmm. UCF, mm-hmm. the same school that Michael Jordan's son went to Marcus or transferred to uh, Johnny, Aubrey Dawkins, Johnny Dawkins son becomes, in my opinion, the most revered player, maybe outside of taco fall uh, by beating Duke, the number one seed in their bracket, the number nine seed. He has 32 points in that game, has a great little run at UCF. Uh, and I put the Dawkins family in at number five. Over they, the Rivers family, throw them out. They they almost beat Duke, you mean? But it yeah, almost beat Duke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, yes. they they should have beat Duke. Um, yes. but they got screwed. I forget how they got screwed. Um, but they just got screwed. I just I'm just going with that. Yeah, they got screwed. And, and honestly, that's the perfect point right there. In my mind, they won that game. That's yeah, exactly, points. exactly. Well, that's how far we have for basketball. Rewrite history. That's where that's where we've arrived at 2020. Just rewrite history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> The truth is stranger than fiction, so yes. just make. So the Rivers family, they were there. The, the Rivers were yeah. there, and my bias or unbiased, I don't know. They got involved, and the Dawkins family, they slide in. My number five also has to do with the 2019 NCAA tournament, Tate. Except I'm not picking the team that lost in the second round to Duke. I'm picking the team that won the national championship. My number five father son combo, Dick and Tony Bennett. Mm. Uh, Kind of like I, I, I wanted to put them on there. I, I was trying to talk myself out of it because I was thinking, I look up, you know, you look up Dick Bennett's stats as a coach. By the way, I'll, I'll preface this. This is a coach-coach pick. Mm. Tony, Tony was, was okay at Green Bay, I guess. But let's be honest, no one remembers Tony Bennett at Green Bay. You know, no one remembers the guy as a player. Um, so I went with the coach-coach. One of two father-son combinations to make the Final Four as coaches. Do you know who the other one is? Mm-mm. 
Who oh, is stop it? Here. John no. Thompson and John Thompson the third. Oh, that makes yep. a lot of sense. Yep. yep. They're the yeah. other ones. Uh, so Dick Bennett had a 582 winning percentage all time. Not that good. He only won 57% of his games at Wisconsin. Also not that good. Um, but I thought the fact that Tony Bennett plays the Dick Bennett brand of basketball and just won a national title, uh, it kind of solidified. It like retroactively validates Dick Bennett's coaching tenure, even though Dick Bennett wasn't, you know, as great of a coach as mm-hmm. we might expect, um, like a guy to appear on one of our top five lists to be, you know, the fact that Tony took the, took the baton, ran with it, won a national title, uh, has won four regular season ACC titles already, two ACC tournaments. Um, is, is Tony Bennett the best already the best ACC coach of all time that isn't Duke or Carolina? I'm trying to think like Gary Williams, lefty Giselle, who else would there be? Yeah, I mean, there's Bobby Cribbins. There's an argument to be made. I there's mean, there's an argument to be made that he's already like the greatest non-Duke. Hey, look, I will say this: he is better than Pete Gillen already. I think he did <laughs> knock out Pete Gillen, so that's good. Um, whether he is or he isn't, uh, he won a he won a national title, but he didn't just win a national title. T- he won a national title playing his dad's brand of basketball that mm-hmm. is very unique to that family, and for that reason, I had to include them on the list. Even though Dick didn't really necessarily carry his weight, but I guess if you're making the argument for Dick Bennett, you would say he laid the foundation for what Wisconsin basketball is today. Uh, in that Wisconsin was was garbage. Up yep. in, they, they had like two 21 seasons up until Dick Bennett took over. Um, so he wasn't necessarily. You know, he wasn't rattling off Big Ten titles left and right like his son is uh, in the ACC, but he, he laid the foundation, and then Bo Ryan takes over, and, and the rest is history. Now Wisconsin is one of the, one of the, the best second-tier programs in the country. The, 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 Wisconsin's the perfect Big Ten <laughs> stat-of-the-day program in, this, in college basketball. They're the perfect B. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, they're just they're a the really perfect. good B, like a 90, like a strong 90. They're the we perfect. All love. We've, we've made the round of 32 seven straight years, and you're like, is that – impressive i don't really know um so anyway that's my number five pick dick and tony bennett i love that uh number four for me moving on i got the uh the west coast that was taken over by big wave billy and his son luke walton uh bill walton of course is uh probably uh, you know resume wise him and i mean he's up there you know two-time national champion uh was a was a three-time national college player of the year uh two-time final four most outstanding player luke was two-time first team all pack 10 people forget uh, I think as far as the impact uh, on the West Coast, we talk about Pac-12 basketball. We do the Pac-12 update. I do love the idea that they were able to spread their wings, manifest uh, the, the Walton family to Arizona. Obviously a rival, I believe, you know, with, with UCLA and Arizona. They were able to mm-hmm. mend that gap so that for the rest of time, Bill Walton could always talk about the Conference of Champions. Right. And everyone would be pulling for Bill Walton's words because his son was able to go somewhere else and thrive at Arizona. Um, number four on my list, the Walton family. Number four for me is uh, I, I have I'm I'm worried that they, they might be higher up on your list, um, but maybe not. You never know how these things go. We surprise each other from time to time. My pick is uh, Dell and Steph Curry. Tate. Mm. Um, I also did not necessarily want to put them on there when I was like. Obviously, it comes to mind immediately when you think of uh, uh, father son and basketball as it currently stands today. Dell and Steph Curry immediately come to mind just because Dell is always at Steph's games and, and the whole family dynamic with the Curry's is a, uh, is very much in your face. If you watch any golden state warriors basketball. Um, so that came to mind immediately. I'll be honest. I didn't want to put him on there cause I didn't think Dell was that good in college. I knew he was okay. Like he's obviously played in the NBA and he had a, he had a great career in the NBA, but I was like, I don't, I don't remember him being that good. And then I look it up and in 86, he's a second team all American. He averages 24 points, seven rebounds, four assists a game as a senior. Mm-hmm. Um, they make the NCAA tournament. Each of the last two years, he's there. I think they lost in the first round. But uh, I thought Del Curry averaged like 17 points a game on a 10-win team. 
throughout mm-hmm. his entire Virginia Tech career. I was wrong. So when I looked up the stats between Dell being second team All-American and Steph just like completely revolutionizing basketball and breaking our brains in 08 and 09, um, they had to be on my list. So I put them at number four. I love that. And uh, yeah, I'm going to get to the Curry's later, but I'm going right. to get to I, the, I thought you might. Yeah, of course. But I'm going to get to the other splash brother right now with his father, a number one pick, Michael Thompson and Clay Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, their combined points was 3,748 points. We had a whole list of all the combined points. That's pretty high up there, first and foremost. And then we're going to get back to my number one stat, retired numbers. And that's what we have for Minnesota. Michael Thompson, number 43, retired. Clay Thompson, number one, retired. These are these are obviously huge moments for both these guys. They obviously they, they stamp themselves on their programs, which I think is a big important part of this whole thing. I don't know how to quantify it other than retired jerseys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's, Michael that's Thompson fine. and Clay Thompson. Uh, you know, obviously Clay's been great, but Michael Thompson was the number one pick. He's he's a he's a colorful commentator now on Twitter for people that don't follow Michael Thompson. Go follow him. He's hilarious. Uh, but he was a great basketball player as well, two-time All-American. And uh, like I said, both those guys, you know, they balled out when they played for those programs. The fact that Tony Bennett got Clay Thompson to go to Washington State. Uh, pretty good. Pretty I good. should bump Tony and Dick Bennett up on my list, to be honest, mm-hmm. as, as we recall the Clay Thompson <laughs> years at uh, Washington State. All right, so you did Bill and Luke Walton. That was your number four pick. Yep. Uh, my number three pick is another father-son combination that was UCLA-Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. It is the lesser known. I think if you say father-son of UCLA and Arizona, most people probably think of the Waltons. What they might not think of is Henry and Mike Bibby Tate. Ooh. I have them at number three on my list. They are the only father-son duo. Stick with me on this one. Big Ten stat of the day coming. <laughs> they are the only father-son duo to win national titles and also be first-team All-Americans. Mm-hmm. Not in the same year. Mike, Mike uh, was not in the same year. Henry was. Uh, Henry Bibby, a million years ago, playing for John Wood and started on, was a starting point guard for three national championship UCLA teams. Uh, first-team All-American in 1972. Of course, Mike wins the title as a freshman in 1997. This was back when having a freshman point guard win a national championship was a massive deal. And then he kind of like opened the the floodgates. There's probably someone that did it before him, but that's how I remember it, uh, mm-hmm. is, is he did it. And then in 03, McNamara does it. And 2012, Marcus Teague, which is funnier as more time goes by. Yeah. And then 2019, Kia Clark started uh, as a freshman for Virginia. Um, but then Mike Bibby, his sophomore year comes back. He's first-team All-American. He's packed in player of the year. Uh, I think when you look at the, the totality of those two guys, neither guy was, like, necessarily a blockbuster, like, can't miss, you know, th- this guy's an absolute legend of the game, per se. But they were both first-team All-Americans, and they both won national titles. What more do you want from a basketball player? I mean, mm-hmm. um, that, that's, a, that's a great father-son combo. <laughs> so I have them at number three, the Bibbies. I love that. Uh, it's good. I, that's one of those ones too, where this is what we talked about. We had so many options, you know what I mean? As you go through yeah. this, like at, at first I was going to be pretty funny with this. I was like, you know, Mark Gottfried and Cameron Gottfried, you know, <laughs> it, it's John Calipari, Brad Calipari. And I was going to run through the gamut. And then as you do that, you're just like, wow, this is going to be really disrespectful or maybe even like coach K and like Wojo, you know, like yeah. something funny, like, funny or like, like Austin that. Rivers and Tyler Zeller. Who's yeah. Just, oh, there you <laughs> go. Every yeah, Sunday yeah, when you hit the, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Wow, that hurt. <laughs> yeah, Tyler Zeller, where are you? Tyler Zeller, come on the show. We've had Cody. Now it's time for Tyler to come on the show. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. That was the best. That's the best thing I've ever think I've ever I, I just remember everyone <laughs> on the team being like, we told TZ to close out. And I'm like, well, you should have told him more. You should have told him more. Close out. He's not uh, going to drive. Should- <laughs> he was never going to drive, Mark Titus. That's when I knew that the three-point line was too much. Pace and space has gone too far when Austin Rivers just pulled up from there. Uh, <laughs> Coach K hated that shot, for the record. Yeah, uh, uh, he'll admit uh, it one day. All right, uh, number two for me, uh, the Maravich family. You mentioned okay. them earlier. Uh, Press and Peep, 
This is basically because I think that press invented the model of college basketball by using the clout of your and the talent of your child to then wedge your way into a job. Mm-hmm. Um, press was at, in North Carolina State. He had this great kid, Pistol Pete, it was, as we all know, was dribbling around town. Everyone's like, man, this guy's unbelievable. And he's like, well, whoever wants him, yeah. <laughs> you get me. And, uh, you know, three-time unanimous NCAA first-team All-American, career record holder for total, total points, averaged 44.2 points per game. We can talk about all that Pistol Pete did, but the fact that his dad controlled the whole process is baller. He went, he took LSU and made them a basketball program. You talk about, like, creating an institution out of nothing, something out of nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. They did that together. And uh, I think it was the first – their only postseason appearance in the 24-year span. Uh, was was gifted by Pistol Pete and Press, um, and that's well, like the 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 CBI. They didn't make the tournament, did they? No, 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 no. Yeah. They only, that was their only postseason appearance. They had, I have <laughs> the CBI, sure. And I, I I have uh, no. I don't think he ever made the tournament. I don't think Pistol Pete ever made. No, the he never made the tournament. Had, he made, yeah, yeah. It, that was their only postseason appearance in their in their history. Happened with him as his junior year. I uh, I have more. In, should you tell me I have more NCAA tournament rebounds than Pistol Pete? One of the greatest college basketball players of all time. Yes. Take that to the bank. Uh, <laughs> I, li- I like your rationale. I, so, uh, spoiler alert, I do not have the Maraviches on my list. And the reason why, it's because Press Maravich was a horrible basketball coach. He was not mm-hmm. – yes. Pete, Pete was obviously one of the three best players of all time. It's probably Kareem, Walton, and Pete in some order, Pistol mm-hmm. Pete. Mm-hmm. Um, someone will throw Leitner in there. You're wrong. No, no. It's uh, – it's 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 probably those three in some order. My, Ralph my, Sampson, maybe. I, Ralph, I would take Ralph. Uh, I would take Ralph Sampson over Christian Leitner, for sure. Ralph Sampson lost to Shamanon. <laughs> oh my god! So you can't. I mean, I don't know. I uh, love the Silver Swords, but not that much. So Pete's obviously carrying his weight in the in the relationship, but Press like he pulls him down so much by just being not good as a basketball coach. Uh, mm-hmm. So I I didn't want to put them on there, but you bring up a good point: is that he he laid the foundation for modern college basketball of the recruiting, the shady nepotism. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, you want, you want my kid? Yeah. Yeah. Why did you, I'm the new coach. He was fired from NC state. Is that the reason? Yes. I believe so. NC state. Yeah. Yeah. That, that spin zone for NC state. That's actually a good thing because now as everyone points to NC state as, as being cheaters with the, the, the Dennis Smith situation, um, they can they can point back to the Pete Maravich thing and be like we did it you know like that's not something we stand for historically this is a one time this is a blip this is not a bomb because historically we've been in these positions and we've not cheated we told Press Maravich to kick rocks we don't care how good your son is we don't play that game um, yeah but how perfect would it be <laughs> if NC State had Pistol Pete to brag about but every everyone says that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time but they had Pistol Pete who averaged 44 points a game and they have all these records sold on to so they would just be scrambling and losing their minds you talk about the goat debate you think LeBron fans are crazy if NC State had Pistol Pete they would be on message boards every day spamming people with yeah. Pistol yeah, Pete that's videos a good point. That's a good and, point. and letting people know that he was the greatest basketball player of all time that would be awesome if 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 NC State and Carolina both had Two guys that were better than yes. anybody that Duke has. And then, you know Coach, I mean? K, and then right. Coach K was the coach. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so Duke's yeah, out yeah. of it. So it's yeah. like the player fight yeah. is North that's Carolina. A that's a good point. I, 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 that's a good point. Um, <laughs> but they couldn't handle it. So you're yeah, right. At yeah, the they, the they, they, yeah, that's that too been, much. That a, yeah. That's too much it, power. It, it's better to have the inferiority complex from NC <laughs> State. My number two, Scott and Sean May Tate, uh, a biased pick for the two of us. Uh, obviously, Sean May represents the North Carolina angle of this for you. Scott May is the Indiana angle for this. Uh, uh, but it's not just biased in that sense. Um, it, it's, uh, this pick isn't just the pick 
because it's biased because they're Indiana and Carolina. They, they are here, – here's a little caveat for them and why I put them in number two. They are the only father-son combination to win national titles as the best players on their team. Would you refute that? Was Sean May the best player? I know he won most outstanding player. Was Raymond Felton better than Sean May on the 05 team or was Sean May the best player in your eyes? Well, there was, a, there, there was the most important player on the team, which mm-hmm. is Rashad McCants' attitude. And uh, that, that's why every single game, if Raymond Felton or someone on the team would get Rashad McCants an easy dunk. And once he got an easy dunk, it's like, all right, Rashad's engaged. The offense is rolling. Let's go. But, yeah, Sean May is the, obviously the foundational piece. I think he yeah. would be the best player on that team. Uh, I think Raymond Felton is my favorite player on that team. But, again, the most important player, Rashad McCants' attitude. Okay. All right. And then you got Marvin Williams is the most talented. Yeah. You can do that with every national champion. Uh, Scott May was the 1970 – a little history lesson for the youngins. Scott May, 1976 National Player of the Year. Yep. Um, he was a two-time first-team All-American, so he's first-team All-American in 75. Indiana goes undefeated in 75. Scott May breaks his arm against Purdue. Uh, they lose to Kentucky in the Elite Eight when Scott May only plays seven minutes because he's got this massive cast on his arm and he's kind of ineffective. Um, otherwise, the, 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 the stories around Bloomington are that if Scott May does not break his arm against Purdue, Indiana has back-to-back undefeated seasons. Uh, and, and Scott May is a big reason why. Um, by the way, I, I found this little stat in uh, all of my research, Tate, that you, you'll love this. In 1975, Indiana was so dominant that four of Indiana's starters made the Big Ten first team, the all-conference first team. And, uh, five guys made the team, and four of them were from Indiana in 1975. So, uh, were, pe- were people complaining about super teams back then? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, anyway, uh, that, is, that is my number two, Scott and Sean May. Uh, Sean – Broke all, all of uh, grew up in Bloomington, broke everyone's heart when he went to North Carolina, but it worked out for him in the end. He won a national championship and was the most outstanding player and all ACC and all that. So, and there was some poetic justice there because you know, North Carolina had basically fallen off the face of the earth at that point mm-hmm. as a program. People were confused as to what would go on when Matt Darty had the eight and 20 season, and then of course, uh, you know, Sean May comes there. Uh, you know, I think the class before him was really the class that you know, Jawad Williams and those guys, Melvin Scott. Uh, but yeah, they, they revived the program and that should be my number one. I think everyone would suspect that would be my number one, mm-hmm. but it's not because Whoa. that would be biased. Wow. And, and I don't care. I'm not, this isn't about the, you know, the, the story, the narrative, the, legacy. are you letting the Twitter are the, the Twitter responders get no, to you? Are you no, scared about the no, graphic? No, no, no. Are you getting I, out ahead of this? No, I'm not even trying to get ahead of it. I'm more, I'm scared of my own like bias in my own top five. Cause I see the list and I'm like, that's not even what I think right now. So I'm like <laughs> trying to get ahead of my own, of my own <laughs> switches. You're your own Twitter responder. Yeah, yeah. No, I am a I I am the biggest hater of all time against like, myself. Tate There's no one that hates Tate Frazier more than Tate Frazier. <laughs> uh, number one on the list: Dell Curry, Steph mm. Curry, and like I said, I mentioned number three, the other Splash Brother uh, with Clay and Michael. These guys had five thousand and twenty points. Steph was the scoring leader, and this mm. was a little bit of a sentimental pick in the sense that. Stephen Curry's story, not being on Dave Tellup's top 100 list, Virginia Tech, even though Del Curry, like you said, was a lot better of a player than people remember, 24 points per game, taking him to the tournament. They didn't even give his, you know, his kid a shot. They thought yeah. he was too small. Even though Steph Curry was going to five-star basketball camp, playing with all these other guys like Michael Beasley and looking like he belonged, playing with Gerald Henderson, who ended up going to Duke, looking like he was just as well-suited. But somehow people were trying to knock him because he was this scrawny little kid that played against no competition. So the story of Stephen Curry around North Carolina, mm-hmm. for me, it was just the that that whole status. And then obviously watching Dell with, with Muggsy and the Hornets back in the day, uh, there was an affinity for Dell. Everyone loves Dell. 
Uh, he still calls games for the Hornets. Um, and then for those two guys to just be supreme scorers uh, individually, separately, uh, and not even have the legacy to get your your son to be able to go to the same school yeah. when he does it independently on his own, I think that's pretty cool. Who do you think is more annoyed uh, by a question they get all the time? Uh, Doug Gottlieb about his credit cards or Seth Greenberg <laughs> about – about uh, Steph Curry and why he didn't recruit him. <laughs> I'm going to say Doug Gottlieb because yeah, Doug Gottlieb is getting a lot yeah. of questions. He's getting a lot of people going at him. So uh, Gottlieb, Gottlieb tweets like, man, it's a great day, guys. The sun's out. Hope everyone does well today. And I was like, credit card. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true for Greenberg, too. I swear, every time, uh, uh, I don't know, every time I, I pay attention to what Greenberg's got going on, someone's in his replies or someone says something about about I mean, I mean what can you say at that point? You're just like, look, Dick Vitale yeah. told me I was going to the tournament. No, that's when you, that's <laughs> when you do the uh, you do the Calhoun. You're like, I fucked up. I, yeah. what, what do you want yeah. to say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My number one is also uh, your number one. Someone that I put lower on my list. My number one is someone you put lower. A family you put lower. My oh, number wow. one, Bill and Luke Walton. Oh, um, Bill Walton for me is the second best player of all time behind Kareem. He is a three-time National Player of the Year. His stats will blow your mind if you go look him up. The man in three years at, at Westwood averaged twenty points, sixteen rebounds, Tate, mm. and five and a half assists <laughs> per game. Uh. A three-time National Player of the Year. He was undefeated his first two years. Everyone remembers uh, Digger Phelps beats him in in South Bend to to snap the the Notre or the the UCLA streak. It's, it's Digger's crowning accomplishment. He brings. That's why he was on TV with the yeah, highlighter for the next thirty years. He, yeah. he made the rest of his career out of that one win. Uh, people forget that a week later, Notre Dame goes to Westwood and they play in Pauley. Because uh, mm-hmm. it was like a rivalry, they do the they do they do home and home in the same season. Notre Dame goes out to to Los Angeles a week later. UCLA beats the piss out of them. Um, UCLA goes on in, in Walton's senior year. They lose in double overtime to NC State and David Thompson. Uh, uh, that game was played in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I think I think Walton loses. They lose like two more games that season. I, I want to say in Oregon, the Oregon. They do the Oregon trip. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he never loses. Bill Walton never lost a game by more than five points. Uh, he is he is one of he's an all time legend. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking all that has to happen for Bill Walton to fall from the number one spot is for Luke to not be as good as I remember. And then I go up and look look up Luke. I get, I get a refresher. Luke Walton was as good as I remember. Two time first team All Pac ten. Uh, he averaged his two seasons as a starter at Arizona. He averaged 13 points, six and a half rebounds and six assists a game. Pretty good. The Waltons are pretty good passers. I think that needs to be uh, underscored here is that the Walton family knows how to pass the ball. So, uh, Luke led a team to number one. We already talked about it earlier. They were ranked number one for most of his senior year. So Luke definitely did enough for me to, to, to pair that with one of the greatest players to ever play the game. It was a no brainer for me to put the Waltons in number one. I think the Walton should be number one. Uh, I wish this is again like I'm 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 just trying to switch things around right now. I the first person to endorse this new version of our podcast was Bill Walton. Uh, like true. you said, the second greatest player of all time. He said uh, that that we were great and Big Wave Billy was was in full support. So we really appreciate that first and foremost. People forget Luke Walton was in the '03 class, uh, the draft class with LeBron James. Um, you know, he, he was a Laker legend, uh, for a little while. And, uh, yeah, like you, like they're, they're, they're West coast legends. And this is a West coast bias podcast at this point. The other point I want to say is that they both stayed for the, the, the full tenure of college that they could mm. build in plays a freshman cause freshmen were allowed. And then he stayed until his senior year. Luke stayed for four years and not that I needed guys to stay the whole time, but that added something to it that they, yeah. they, they stayed around longer and they added more to their legacies and more to their resumes and all that. So, uh, that, that factored into it as well. Neither one of those guys left earlier. All right, so honorable mentions we missed. There are a ton. Um, I'll, I'll start with my list. I had some coach-player situations that, that I, I think deserve shout-outs. Tubby and Saul Smith, 
Uh, Saul wasn't necessarily a great player, but they're the only father-son combination to win a national title together. Do you know that, Tate? Mm. Um, the only the only father-son combination to uh, as a player coach. I mean, like the son's yep. playing for the dad. They won the the '98 title together. Um, Fog and Bobby Allen. Bobby was Fog's son. Bobby Allen uh, was the captain of the 1940 Kansas team. They lose to Indiana in the national championship. They were almost the other father-son combo mm-hmm. to do it, but they lost to they lost to the mighty Hoosiers. Uh, Ron and RJ Hunter want to shout them out. Yep. Also, Wade and Allen Houston. They're kind of like the diet version of the Maraviches. That uh, uh, Wade Wade Houston gets the job at Tennessee. Allen follows. They don't win anything. Allen Houston averages a shit ton of points <laughs> and is a legend and all of that. But like Wade is not a great coach and is only known for bringing his son to to Gavis. Uh But shout out to them as as well. So. And uh, Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway Jr., Michael and Marcus Jordan, uh, Glenn Rice, Glenn Rice Jr., uh, Ralph Sampson Jr., Ralph Sampson III. There, there, there's a – the list goes on. I think I said Rick Barry and Britt Barry at one point, mm-hmm. but, you know, we can uh, – John and David Stockton. There, there's a, there's so many different guys, and there's so many different had, guys that – yeah. Who else? I had one more for you. Uh, Derek and Nolan Smith. Um, nice. Derek was the Metro – people forget the Metro Conference. Uh, player of the Year at Louisville. Wins the 1980 title. More important than all of that – if you go to his Wikipedia page, he gets credited for inventing the high five Tate. Mm-hmm. This is this is a true fact. <laughs> Nolan Smith's father is is credited as inventing the high five at Louisville basketball practice. Uh, meanwhile, Nolan won the uh, the 2010 title. Their their father son combo that won uh, national titles together. So shout them out as well. And Nolan Smith is also a guy that could be a future Duke head coach. We never know. So where uh, where is he on the Coach K uh, uh, successor power rankings? Is he in the top ten? We got to put him in the top ten. I think he's number six. Like yeah, a, like a, a very very strong six. All right, and trying to climb uh is, is that it is that is that the honorable mentions yeah i think we should get right. to our own dads and see where i think we should too uh they're they're patiently waiting we're 10 minutes late <laughs> for for patching them in here so we're going to get to that here is our conversation in honor of father's day please say hello to our fathers quick break to get aware from our sponsor bespoke if your mailbox is anything like mine 90 percent of the time it's a fairly depressing place political flyers utility bills unholy amounts of coupons but once a month i do have a reason to be stoked and that's because of my box of awesome from bespoke posts bespoke posts sends guys only the best stuff every month and no matter what you're into the box of awesome has you covered from style and grooming goods to barware cooking tools and outdoor gear Box of Awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. Mark Titus, they dropped the bag for you, correct? They literally dropped the bag. They they sent me a weekender bag. I use it. I used it on my trip to Colorado. It is so perfect. It's the perfect size, perfect function, perfect foot. It's it's I I I will never use another bag to go anywhere. Ever. Ever, ever again, ever. Uh, to get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel anytime. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but as over $70 worth of gear inside, get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code TNT at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code T-A-N-D-T for 20% off your first box. And now let's get to our fathers all right joining us now are our fathers uh who we we have to we have to establish some ground rules right away what do we call you guys obviously dad i'm gonna call you dad mr frazier do i call you mr frazier do i call you coach frazier uh i'm almost scared to say your first name because 
I, I'm just, I was raised to be terrified to, to do that. <laughs> Your dad's getting upset right now that you even thought about saying his first name. He's like, yeah. Mark. <laughs> Bob Knight yeah. told me a long yeah. time ago, dude, it's either coach or mister. You got to say it ahead of, uh, you know, that's how Knight got fired in the first place. So, and I'm sure that's the way you and our dad and your dad were, but you've always called me Mr. Frazier, okay. not necessary. Mark, you can call me whatever you, you like. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep with Mr. Frazier. We'll, we'll do Mr. Frazier, Mr. Titus. We'll keep it simple. Um, We were, we just got done doing our top five father-son duos to celebrate Father's Day. One of us had Pete Maravich and Press Maravich on their top fives. The other did not. Dad, I know you, Pete Maravich is, is your favorite player of all time. Tate, you were, you were saying that your dad would have some insight to Pete Maravich, you know, growing up in North Carolina and all that kind of stuff. Uh, did, I, I guess, Dad, do you want to start? Um, I did not have Pete Maravich on my top five. Pete and Press Maravich on my top five. How, how egregious is this for you? Well, it's really disappointing, Mark. I thought you were, I raised you better than that. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty obvious that they ought to be on there. So congratulations, Tate. It must be you. Thank you so much, Coach Titus. I know who the brains of that outfit are now. So, and I, yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take that as a compliment, Dad. I mean, do you remember uh, Press Maravich? I remember you told me about the NC State stuff back in the day. I mean, were you were you old enough to remember anything from from uh, from Pete Maravich playing? Pete played at I think he played at Broughton. Yep. And of course, he was such a you know novelty at the time because of I mean he was just born and raised and drilled to be a basketball player and of course he got you know early on before all of the high visibility to recruits and high school players Pete ended up being the ticket for his dad (laughs) to be able to do things better for himself along the coaching tree at least that's the way I perceived it anyway coach Titus you you may have some feelings about this as well (laughs) well I do I think Press Maravich was a smart man he got Rick Mount's point guard from Lebanon Indiana to come down to LSU so that was pretty brilliant (laughs) when you bring that up that is smart that is I I I don't know because I was ripping the whole reason I didn't have the Maravich on my list dad was because I was ripping press that he's not that great of a coach but that is kind of genius Tate made the point that he invented uh what we see in modern college basketball which is guys getting coaching jobs just because they have familial ties to a top recruit um which is something that happens in college basketball all the time now he was like kind of the first to do that so um yeah, you bring up a good point. That's great, uh, Mr. Frazier. I want to I want to ask you this. So my dad has been on the been on the show before, and he's he's offered his his thoughts on his disdain for Purdue. Um, he's kind of I don't know if we've really got into the Kentucky thoughts, Dad. We got we got to touch on those a little bit. Um, Mr. Frazier, can you give our listeners a little bit of background on on you, like where you grew up, uh, your your loyalties? Obviously, you're a Tar Heel, but like, do you hate Duke as much as your son does? Are you do you hate NC State? Um, where do you fall in all that? Give, give the people a little bit of an idea of uh, where you're coming from here. Well, we're from a you know small rural town in North Carolina. Okay. My mom had 11 brothers and sisters. My dad had nine. So we're either we either normal or related to everybody in our town. <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up, I was a Duke fan, believe it or not, because my dad worked in Durham. Wow. He was friends with the assistant athletic director and. My sister and I went to every Duke home football game for years. And we also went to see Duke basketball anytime we wanted to because at that point in time, I guess it was in the early 70s, nobody wanted to watch Duke basketball. I mean, they were. I mean, they was you could go anytime you wanted to. <laughs> in 1970, my brother ended up going to North Carolina. 
on a baseball, um, full base to play baseball. Our allegiance has turned at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And we became Carolina fans. And Tate learned to be a Duke hater. <laughs> not only, really not from me, but from his mother. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's, it's definitely from my mom. It's not from my dad. Who <laughs> absolutely cannot say the word without making a very ugly face and, <laughs> and, and mark you've seen that before. I, I have seen it yeah it's it's wild yeah it's it's hilarious oh that's good while while we're on tobacco road i want to talk about uh coach coach smith um dean smith uh obviously mr frazier you you were around growing up around uh uh you know the, the, you got to see the dean smith heyday he had a, a a very lengthy run in north carolina as we all know legendary um, but what stands out to me with you two guys, you two being the, the, the fathers on the show here, uh, you, you kind of grew up and were influenced or, or cheered for teams that were coached by two very, very, very different types of coaches, types of men, uh, and Bob Knight and Dean Smith. Um, but since we're on Tobacco Road right now, let's, just, let's focus on Coach Smith. Your thoughts as an outsider on Dean Smith, as a guy who grew up in Indiana, um, you kind of shared your thoughts on Knight when you came on the first time that you know right. weren't necessarily like a – Bob Knight disciple, but whatever, you know, you did grow up in an, in a, in an environment where like everybody kind of had a little Bob Knight in them. If you were a basketball coach in Indiana, uh, <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on Dean Smith as an outsider watching Dean Smith basically run his program the exact opposite way of Bob Knight? <laughs> well, it really was the, I mean, the exact opposite Mark, because I always looked at coach Smith as one who would take his talent and adjust to it, even though he had, you know, certainly access to recruit whoever he wanted and could mold the his or take his thoughts and make his players conform like Knight did. But mm-hmm. Knight wouldn't do that. I mean, he, he wouldn't allow players any other freedom than what he wanted them to have. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think Dean Smith was smart enough to have an exceptional player and adjust his philosophies according to the players he had. And I don't think Coach Knight would do that. You know, like I said last time, I think Coach Knight took some good players and made them great and some great players and made them good. But I think they're great players that came to North Carolina were still great when they left there. Yeah. Yeah. And the 1981 title game, I think, is kind of like Titus and I, we kind of point to that game as a tipping point in both of our, you know, our times because Isaiah Thomas, you know, he has 23 points in that game. Indiana wins, breaks the heart of North Carolina and James Worthy and Sam Perkins. And Indiana's on top of the world. That sort of confirmed to the world that Dean Smith would never be Coach Knight. Coach Knight was on a different level. Did it feel that way at the time in 1981? Because if you ask my mom, you know, she blames Ronald Reagan being shot. Well, yeah, I was going to say, nothing nothing illustrates the difference between Dean Smith and Bob Knight. Like, Ronald Reagan being shot and Bob Knight's like, we're playing the damn game. And Dean's like, are we sure we should play the game? Well, you know, that game, Knight had players that did exactly what he wanted. And the unsung player from that game, in my opinion, is no relation to Isaiah, is Jimmy Thomas. Mm. I mean, Jimmy ended up making the all-tournament team or, the, you know, the Final Four all-tournament team. And he had, a, he had a great game, but obviously so did Isaiah and Landon Turner. Coach Titus, you just could not be more spot on with the unsung star of the 81 game. I thought everybody on Indiana's team's last name was Thomas. Uh, <laughs> I mean, at the start of the second half, and the and if I remember this right, Indiana's defense was relentless, and mm-hmm. they they came out in the first three minutes of the second half, and basically took you know a game that was not going to be anything but a defensive game probably anyway, 
and a 10-point lead in that game was like 20 to me. Mm-hmm. And Jim Thomas was phenomenal. And Isaiah Thomas was as much on the defensive end that game mm-hmm. as he was on the offensive end to, to me. James Worthy had a, three fouls early in that game, if I remember, too. Now, now it's adding up. Ronald Reagan has been shot. Uh, they got foul trouble early on. There it is. I'm not saying anything about the officiating. Uh, <laughs> uh, we play defense in the Big Ten. I mean, what we do. You know, I really and truly, I think that Carolina was surprised. They had already played Indiana that year. We, oh, really? we had already played them in December, I believe, and beat them hmm. um, in Chapel Hill. Hmm. And yeah, those those games don't count. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> I mean, they are immaterial. <laughs> the difference in that game was Carolina's defense against Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced that Coach Knight did not forget that game, and he learned from it, and he made damn sure that when they played again, he wasn't going to be beat at his game twice. And he wasn't. Is that retroactive that people look back and pretend like Dean Smith, there were questions around whether he could win the big one, or was that actually a thing in the in the moment? Like, you know, this guy's a great coach, but man, he is he ever gonna win a national title? Can you can you do it? Can you win a national title playing Dean Smith's brand of basketball? Was that like a real thing back then? Absolutely. Mm. Um, in, mm. in, in nineteen eighty one, I still had not gotten over nineteen seventy seven. So <laughs> it was uh it really was the expected every year you're going to be in the conversation when he got to the big moment several times there was never you know there was never that moment where he where he got the you know the big prize so it was you know it was definitely i don't think it bothered him as much as it bothered everybody else it bothered you it absolutely bothered me yeah <laughs> It bothered Tate's mom, I imagine, a yes. little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. That's that's a hundred percent. How about how about Coach Knight, uh, Mr. Frazier? Your thoughts as a guy, uh, like like we already said, the, the very different philosophies towards the game. Um, was I, I imagine you probably were happy that Dean Smith coached at North Carolina instead of Bob Knight. But uh, was there any party that like respected Bob Knight? Or you, it's okay for you to be like, no, I didn't. I didn't respect a guy that yelled at his players and grabbed him by the throat and all that. That's um, that, you're like, gonna, I can't wait to see this yeah, answer because he's like, what, yeah, that's how we coach. <laughs> what uh, what what was your perception uh, as a man growing up in in the Dean Smith shadow um, of Bob Knight? I just I, I thought Coach Knight was phenomenal. I think he had a very different way of getting out of players. I think your dad said it really well on the front end. You took, you know, some good players and made them great and made some great players maybe good. <laughs> but he had a system and he had a, he had a way. And, you know, I always thought about the difference between Coach Smith and Coach Knight was they both were great teachers and they were teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember reading Coach Wooden saying that, that Coach Knight was – the best teacher of basketball he ever saw. I think Coach Smith was also a great teacher, but he nurtured a little bit players. He kind of guilted them into trying to do what he wanted them to do. And it appeared that Coach Knight was more of a demanding mm-hmm. coach that, you know, this is – I'm running this, this the ship. I'm the general. <laughs> and this is how things are going to do. And if you listen to me, 
I'm not only going to make you a better basketball player, I'm going to make you a better person. Mm-hmm. For all the, the, the things that you hear about Coach Knight that are not positive, it's always been amazing to me that you very seldom hear any of his lettermen have anything but good things to say. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that there's a story behind the story with Coach Knight as well. And he and Dean Smith would not have been friends. Um, and I say friends, I don't think they were social friends. But I think there was a huge respect between the two, and that probably really came to light during the, the 1976 Olympics when Scott May and Quinn Buckner were part of that team that spent a lot of time in Chapel Hill. And I think Coach and I probably spent some time there as well. Coach Titus, would you say the same uh, about Coach Smith and Coach Knight? Because I, I feel like there are both teachers at, at the at the core of both of them. And you know, Coach Knight was at five star basketball camp teaching all those guys, and you know, he obviously prides himself on teaching the game of basketball and the fundamentals. Well, he absolutely did. He uh, required all players to keep a notebook. I mean, a dear friend of mine and roommate at IU during some of that time was Butch Carter. Mm-hmm. Butch still has every note he ever took from Coach Knight. I had Coach Knight for a coaching class required notebook i still have the notebook you know he he expected detail he expected uh accuracy he expected thoroughness i mean he expected all of it very high expectations he expected uh, attendance wise 100 percent attendance like i said last time you missed three times you failed the class and there wasn't any sense in coming back or trying to because you failed it so and, and people lived up to those expectations the best they could so yeah great teachers um and it's neat to look at those parallels. And I think I can't remember the dates like you and Mark do, but I think there were two years that IU won it. And this is a little different school, obviously, but Louisville won it the year before IU won it on two different occasions, you know, with pressing and trapping and running up and down the floor. And Knight slows it down, half court this and half court that, motion offense and tough defense. And so those playing styles were completely different, but able to do it because of teachers i think louisville did it with better players but yeah i think you're right tate and dean smith or tate coach knight and dean smith were uh, great teachers and that's how they were successful yeah louisville won in 80 iu in 81 louisville won in yeah, 86 right. uh, beat duke in 86 uh jay billis right. and duke um and iu won in 87 uh one thing i'm curious to, to ask both of you guys obviously we're talking about the 1981 national title and winning the national title is a big deal but one one sense that I get when I when I look back on college basketball and the and the the path the sport has taken, um, it, it has become a sport that, as March Madness has has just exploded in popularity in the '90s and 2000s and where we're at today, uh, so much emphasis has been put on the NCAA tournament that it, it the the regular season conference titles, the, even the the conference tournament titles, it's all been kind of de-emphasized. Um, but you guys would know better than I have because you've lived you've lived through it. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Would you say that that when you were maybe our age or, or a little older, whatever, just pick a time in your earlier life, um, was winning the Big Ten and winning the ACC, was that considered like maybe not quite winning a national title, but like that is a very, very, very big deal? And do you feel today like if IU and North Carolina were to win their conferences, you wouldn't care as much as you would have, say, in 1983 or 84 or something like that? Well, I will tell you, Mark, I don't think winning the Big Ten is anything near what it was because not everybody plays everybody. Mm. You know, and I think that waters it down. The other thing is you win the Big Ten championship, you don't get a chance to enjoy it because you have to go to the tournament. You win the Big Ten tournament, you don't get a chance to enjoy that because you go to the NCAA <laughs> tournament. So I don't think they're looked on upon anymore as they were back in my day. But yeah, winning the Big Ten back in, in my day when they had travel partners, 
when they played a, a reverse image of what they, you know, the team they played first is the last game of the season. The last team they played in the Big Ten, they played back to back. Oh, was that I the mean, was that the, that was the scheduling system? Yes, yes. Really, wow. But yeah, everyone everyone played it, so it was kind of neat. You know, the team you played first. I mean, how different would it be to play them in January and then play them again? You know, at the end of February, mm-hmm. it's just such a different schedule. And then the team you play in the middle, you play like I said, back to back. So you talk about preparation, and everyone plays there. I, I just don't think it, it's watered down. Yeah. You know, as an athletic director, when we switch conferences and I, 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 we had 10 teams in our conference and played nine football. Everybody needs to play or be one for it to be a true tournament or, or Big Ten championship or league championship. And I just don't like it the way it is now. Mm. The conferences have expanded a little too much. And I think Dad, right, for the ACC, the ACC tournament used to matter a lot. I at least know that in Greensboro. I agree with Coach Titus. Um, there was a point in time where it meant a lot. But I know for me, going into Carmichael at the time and now the Ding Dong, I could particularly care less to see a league championship banner or a ACC tournament championship banner. I prefer to see the national championship <laughs> banner. Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's lost its luster. I like the point you made, Dad, that like it, it feels like you're, you're always, as a fan, you're always looking for whatever's next, that as soon as your team wins a, a regular season title, yeah. you don't even enjoy it. You're like, we have to – Exactly. Now win a national title. And only one team ever wins a national title. And it feels like more often than not, the team that wins a national title didn't even win their conference. While we're on the topic of, of you guys saying things were better back in the day, and that's, that's kind of why we wanted to have you on, right, is, is, is for you guys to explain that. What would you say uh, – I'll start with you, Mr. Frazier. What is the one thing that, in your mind, you, you feel free to be like as, as much of a curmudgeon as you want to be on this one? <laughs> <laughs> the one thing in your mind that has ruined college basketball or like it was so much better back in the day because of this and now it's done this way and that's that's why it's not as good uh is there is there one thing that stands out to you as like man this is just not the way to do it when i think about how you know we played basketball when when i was playing it was you know we played in the backyard we you know we learned how to screen we learned how to understand know each other be coached up. People knew where they were from a team, you know, teammate standpoint. But the one of the things that that I think are a lot different today in the game than it was then, and I wish it had been that way when we played, you know, today's game, you can palm the ball, you can carry it, <laughs> you can travel, you can step back, you know, all that David stuff. Rivers, was, David Rivers started all that carrying and palming the ball stuff, I think. David Rivers absolutely out. He bounced it over top of his head. Now hang on a sec- hang on a second. How can you guys how can you guys hate the hot dog and but love Pistol Pete? That, that how do you reconcile those? It's not people? a hot dog when you're breaking the rules, Mark. No. <laughs> and getting away with it. <laughs> Perfectly said. Uh, Dad, what about uh, you? What, what what's your thought on all this? What, what's the what's the worst thing about modern college take basketball? Take out the three point line. Take out the three point. Get rid of it. Watch the eighty-one <laughs> championship game. Watching guys shoot bank shots from twelve feet. This Watch is a personal Andy attack, Dad. Is. Your son would have no career <laughs> if you took out the three point line. I, I, I understand that. Son. I'm sorry. That's how you know it's real. That's how you know it's a That's genuine how you know opinion. It's real. Get rid of it. You go back and watch Bird and Magic. You don't miss that line. You don't miss a shot clock. You don't miss those things. Yeah. You know, I love Dean Smith when he's running the four corners. Too bad people adjust. 
I had people four corner me, so I just four cornered them back. <laughs> did you, Dad? Did your did your thoughts on the three point line have anything to do with the fact that Purdue in the last like two or three years has become one of the best three point shooting teams in the country? No. Okay. No, I'm just no, making I sure. Hated the, and guys, and Tate, you, and Mr. Fraser, you don't know this, but I had a kid that hit twelve threes in one high school basketball game, in a separate game, hit six threes in a quarter, and uh, I still hated the line. I was with <laughs> Coach Knight. If you shoot that sucker from the other free throw line, you, the game ought to be over if you make it, you know, or, or give five points for that. But I'd take up the three-point line in a second. That's how I'd change it back. That's amazing. You know, Coach, and, and I, I agree with you uh, as well. <laughs> Just because now you've got, you know, I'm still a a big man plays with his back to the basket. Right. Amen. What What about we leave the three-point line, but only one player is allowed to shoot for three? Like, no. It's like a no, volleyball. You wouldn't be up, Mark. No. No, Mark. You're trying to set it up so you can I, I need to be on the court, Dad. What do, what do I do if I'm not shooting threes? <laughs> Who is a great shooter that was developed once a three-point line went down? The Currys, maybe. Mm-hmm. And Mark Titus and Tate Frazier. I know those guys yeah. can fill it up from three. <laughs> but, no, I mean, uh, who, who the great – these kids start out chucking it – we had we we have kids when they first touch a basketball, the first thing they do is go behind a three point line and shoot it from their hip. That's yeah. true. Instead of shooting shots that they can make and then working back. I mean, it's just yeah, no, take up the line. Nobody'd miss it. You know, talking about that as well is is Coach Smith. You know, being a mathematician and he was a percentages guy. Taking a three point shot during his heyday was what he wanted you to do. He wanted you to take right. that shot. Right. That still right. lives through Roy Williams, I believe, to this day. Mm-hmm. That and it frustrates me still to this day because sometimes the three point line is the equalizer for a lesser talented team. Tate has heard me forever and a day say you have to defend the dribble penetration pitch out for the three. But that's how you make a lesser talented team able to compete. With a more talented team. The 2005 Duke team comes to mind with J.J. Yeah. Redick. Yeah, the driving Absolutely. kick. Yeah, Lee Melchione. That was, it was horrible. They're not, not a good team, but good shooters. And that's, let, me, let me say this, Mar. That's okay. looking at the offensive side. Defensively, if we go on a five, seven-point run, the next guy I want to check up the three on the other team is a worse shooter on the floor. And with AAU and those kids not being able to count how many shots they take, they only look at his point. I want that kid to chuck one up from three because we're on a roll and we're going to continue to be on a roll because that kid feels like it's his turn, and that's what I think that line's created. Mr. Fraser, how about the opposite to that question? Is there anything uh, about the college game today that you think is is better than it was back in your day and you're, you're, you're you know, encouraged? Okay, if the answer is no. <laughs> to be honest, I like the game the way it was. <laughs> yes. Amen. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Dad, on this. Oh, I love it. That's great. That's great, Dad. Do you feel the same way? <laughs> oh, absolutely. The things I, you know, the the uh, the equipment's better. The shoes are nicer. You know, I know you like Chuck Taylor's mark, but they created a few blisters back in my day. <laughs> we had we had a, a piece of wood on concrete flooring, then it was the wood, and then I had about a quarter of an inch of rubber on my Chuck Taylors, and we had a lot of blisters. So <laughs> thankfully, the equipment's better, the shoes are better, the basketballs are better, the mm-hmm. arenas are better. I think the fan experience, I mean, in the arena, not the game itself, are better. <laughs> so that's about it. But otherwise, the game needs to go back to what, what it high, once was. Uh, High-def TV, you can watch every game now. You know, I'm sure you don't yeah. have to move bunny ears to, to – 
you know, that's got to be better. That has to count for something. What about what, – what are your thoughts on the NCAA tournament? Should uh, – uh, you know, because we were talking earlier about, like, the, the importance of conference titles. And, uh, Mr. Frazier, you brought up the point that winning the ACC tournament was your ticket in. Um, would you like to see it revert back to that? If you, were, if you were a college basketball commissioner, would you say you have to win your conference tournament? Like, would you limit the bids? Or you, do, do you think 64 is a good number? Where do you stand on that? Mr. Frazier, I'll let you go first. You know, I guess I've gotten conditioned to – be okay with the 64, mm-hmm. but I don't think it needs to go beyond the 64, even the buy, you know, the playing games up to 68. Amen. You know, I think because of the, the parity of everything, I guess at one point, did you have just only 16 at one point that went to 32? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we was 32 to 64, but 32 was an expanded field, right? Yeah, it was. I wouldn't like to see it go beyond, you know, the, the, the 64 teams. I mean, I think it's in a good place right now. And, look, you know that all that is is about the the ability to get the TV revenue anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amen. So, it's, you know, probably going to expand again for that reason, potentially. Um, but more than anything else, I just want to be able to make sure we get back to being able to play <laughs> in in 85 when they expanded 64 teams uh i i feel like that might have been the moment that the nit no longer mattered because but i i always hear about how mostly from you dad that the nit once upon a time was maybe not exactly equal to an ncaa tournament championship but it was a really big deal and winning the nit right. was like something you would actually celebrate instead of when we won it and 2008 we were all just looking at each other like do we clap how do we what should we do here (laughs) um what is that a fair is that do you think it was 1985 was it before then after then like when when do you feel like the nit dad uh stopped mattering and was it actually did it actually matter yeah it mattered you beat purdue in 79 to win the championship (laughs) at madison square of course it mattered now i mean you look at it now they had 32 ncaa tournament teams in the nit that is true yeah expanded 64 so those teams were playing in a separate tournament. It was really a, a good tournament. I, I still contend today, Mark, not that anybody wants to play in the NIT, but going doing like you guys did in eight, 2008, going, you know, winning the NIT is better than losing the first round of the NCAA. No, just, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just no. that experience of playing. Let no. me play as many as I can. I don't want to play. <laughs> I don't want to play. I want free stuff. I want. Uh, <laughs> I want. Uh, yeah, I want like to be able to. I want. I'm thinking about my resume when I'm older, being able to say like I played in four NCAA tournament or something like that. Yeah, you don't want then I te- no, 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 Big Apple, man. That's All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You Madison get a banner. Square. Yeah, if you can play in MSG, yeah, you, you get, get a banner. <laughs> you gotta get a banner. That's what it was all about to play in Madison Square Garden at the yeah. time. Yeah. 1971, Carolina won the NIT. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, you know, they won the national championship. Mm-hmm. 1972, they go to the Final Four, losing the semifinals to Florida State of all teams, believe it or not. And I would have much rather, I was more proud of the NIT 71 championship than the 72 loss in the Final Four. Mm. and that would never be the case yeah i know it's just like crazy to hear you say that out loud because it just seems so crazy i don't know it just seems it seems insane but i i believe you i I believe uh (laughs) that that's actually how you feel uh all right let's wrap this thing up we'll let you guys go because uh look you guys are just getting warmed up and lord knows we get you two talking (laughs) this could go on for hours um before we do uh father's day this weekend i love you dad you're the best um 
being your son has has been has been a joy. I I am who I am because of you, Dad. And uh, in a lot of ways, I I am very upset with that, but uh, more more so, <laughs> I'm very thankful for for things you've instilled in me, and uh, I I'm very grateful for that. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. You know how much I love you and how proud I am of you for doing your own thing, being your own man, and cutting your own path. Our listeners don't want to hear a sob fest, though. So what is the most embarrassing moment raising me that you had, uh, sports or otherwise, something I did that you're like, I can't believe this is myself? Well, there's two or three that come to mind. First, we spent <laughs> kindergarten roundup under the teacher's desk. Mm. That was pretty embarrassing. What is roundup? That's <laughs> when you go in and they get you prepared to start kindergarten. And it was a one-on-one mom and I and you and her mom and me and you. And, and uh, you, you crawled underneath the desk, and that's where you hung out. <laughs> the other one was when we were at Gene Katie's basketball camp and you won like the spot shooting or the three point or you won a three pointer free throws. You, you won two or three trophies in a row and you went up and Gene Katie presented the trophy and you refused to shake his hand. <laughs> so you, 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 the next time you won, you wouldn't go up even to get the trophy. So he brought it back to you and you wouldn't shake his hand. And I think it was the third time he came back and gave you the other trophy and said, Boy, you got a lot of Bobby Knight in you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. And the third one that comes to mind is when Butch Carter, a friend of mine, uh, coached with the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, and were, they played the Pacers, and he gave you a card to go in and get Glenn's autograph. And I thought it was a pretty neat gesture on his part. And you take that card and throw it on the floor and go, I don't want his autograph. <laughs> <laughs> so... Those are three that come to mind. I, I remember hating Purdue because of you when I was really little. And then right around like the time I was, I, I don't, I, I forget how old I was, but I was about 10 or 11. Uh, mom was so sad that everyone hated Purdue in the family and she was oh, on yeah. an island. So like I started to get a little affinity for like Chad Austin and Brian Cardinal just because I felt so bad for mom. And then I went right back to hating Purdue, like by the time I got to, to junior high. But uh, there, there was yeah. a, there was a brief like three year stretch. So, oh man, that's good. Oh, uh, this has been great. I, uh, Dad, I, I will, you know, utter the same sentiments as Mark Titus, and uh, I don't need to have any embarrassing stories told about me unless you have any off the cuff. Uh, I, <laughs> I embarrass myself enough on this program uh, just with myself. You know, I can't help but, but at least tell one. Please do. Please tell two if you want. Yeah, absolutely. We, we lived on a golf course. We're very close. <laughs> and when Tay quit playing baseball, when his mom started teaching a year-round school and and the summers were taken away with her being able to get him to tournaments and that kind of thing. He took up golf and he stayed at the country club. I mean, from sunup to sundown almost, and actually became a decent player. Well, the way the rules of the club were in order for kids. And he was probably 12, 11, 12 years old for kids to go out and play during the prime time of the day. You had to, one, earn your way to be respectful and be able to play well enough to be able to play during the busy times of the day. Well, my parents lived on the other side of the golf course, and to get to their house, I would have to ride by one of the the holes by the road where I could see three of the holes from the road, and I knew timing that I would be able to maybe see see them playing and, and, you know, just catch a glimpse. And, of course, and I, and I did. But what I saw was what I didn't want to see was a golf course full of players. And Tate is very competitive. 
And obviously things were not going his way. <laughs> and I could see him with a golf club chasing his brother. Clinging <laughs> <laughs> at him, trying to hit him with the golf club. Yeah, for sure. I had to pull off on the side of the road, run across the fairway, <laughs> across a creek, a bridge creek, and take both of them and pull them off the course and put them in the car and take them home. <laughs> My brother is the ultimate smartass. So if, if I was having a bad round, he loved making comments. And I think that day he finally got to me. Uh, golf is a mental game. And I I think that was the last time I really snapped. I think that, that was it when I was like 12 years old. I still the last time you snapped. When my dad and, and you, Mr. Frazier, come out to L.A. and we finally get the round of golf we've been talking about for a long time and we all play together. Uh, initially, I wanted it to be me and Tate versus the dads. But. I'm thinking I might want you on my side, Mr. Frazier. I think I think uh, maybe you we and I can take gonna, him, Tate. Yeah, there you go. We'll team up. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll swap oh, it out. That's perfect. I'm thinking we team up. We we, we do psychological warfare on Tate because my dad has a little bit of that in him as well. He's uh he he has the nickname of uh, Small Bucket Bill is what they call him because he will on his approach shot he'll shank it he'll just drop another one out of his pocket he'll he'll hit that one fast so he'll drop another one out of his pocket before long he's hit like seven or eight balls. Um, and then and then he gets mad and then uh, he 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 blames it on God knows what, but it certainly it just, isn't. His just fault. being competitive, you know, yeah. it's it's in your head. That's right. Shoot or shoot, golfers hit balls. <laughs> My dad is the only person I've ever seen play around a golf and shoot like an eighty-six, but swing the club two hundred and thirty-four times. <laughs> like that is the fewer shots you count, the better score you have, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well we can't thank you enough for doing this uh we we, we love you both um, yes we course. happy father's day to you both uh we'll, we'll have to do it again we'll have to make this an annual tradition promise us that next next year we will do it in person uh we'll play that round of golf but we don't have to wait till father's day you guys can come out we'll, we'll play golf before then yeah we're hoping for basketball for golf and for normal social you know obligations yeah. and hangouts again so uh yeah appreciate you coming on and uh yeah like mark said we love you both and happy father's day well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it, and I'm proud of both of you for what you guys have done with, with Titus and Tate. It's just uh, an enjoyable thing to listen to every couple times a week. It, it is, and I totally agree. And, Coach Titus, it was very nice to, to meet, you. <laughs> meet you. And, Mark, I hope we do have the opportunity to, to have that one-on-one and that golf game. That would be great, <laughs> um, even if we don't, just, just to see you and, and Coach Titus to meet you and your wife and, and for you to meet. Tate's mom it would be great. That would be awesome. Be fantastic. I'm we, forward to I, it. I, yeah. I think I think the moms are gonna hear this and get really upset. We didn't do this for mothers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think I think we're gonna have to run this back in May um, for mothers. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Billy is upset right now. She's yeah, downstairs. <laughs> Mrs. Frazier is 100%. We turned the microphone on. I'm just going to mute mine and let her go because that, that'll be something. We're going to uh, hear about Ronald Reagan, that's for sure, early uh, on. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. Happy Father's Day. All right, Tate. I, uh, I thought that went pretty well. I thought um, I, I, uh, I don't know. I was worried. It took full disclosure. It did take about 15 to 20 minutes to get everything set up. My dad couldn't figure out the technology. This is the first time he's used Zoom. Everyone else in the world has been using Zoom left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, for during this quarantine period my dad apparently not this is the first time he's ever used it but he figured it out and uh, i thought it, i thought it went well having having the fathers on yeah it's one of those things where i i feel like on this show a lot of times we're talking about random things that happened in the 1960s and the 1970s and the 1980s and you know those are times where you know we weren't really around obviously people are like oh uh, anyone can just look up this stuff but no our dad just talked about it all the time so we kind of just had it 
even if we didn't want to know about it, it just sort yeah. of was, was like a, we were like an amoeba. It's just sort of our, our nervous system just took it in. Yeah, that so wasn't remember everything that they were talking about. The the intent was it's Father's Day. We love our dads and we just want to do something special for them and with them. Uh, but I think the 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 collateral thing that is coming from this <laughs> is it's providing those that listen to the show an origin story for you and I as to yes. how we got to where <laughs> how do they exist when you when you grow up with those two guys uh just at all times talking about college basketball just yeah as you said it just seeps into your the fiber of your being and you can't get it out it's it's like herpes i guess <laughs> it stays with you for life my dad gave me college basketball herpes uh and i'm gonna get a phone call about that because my dad's listening back and he just heard me say that he's so, like uh, mark mark we had a great interview and then things went off the rails pretty quickly spoiled it <laughs> one thing i wanted to bring up is your dad's handshake mm. um I, I, I wanted to, I think I've talked about it on the show before uh, we, we, we talk about it, right? Like your dad has a legendary handshake and he breaks people's hands and yes, yes. Purposeful. To, yes. Purposely breaks people's car yeah. dealers uh, like that. That's, that's happened before my brother got a car and the car dealer, he went back and the guy's, you know, hand was wrapped and he told him <laughs> that my dad broke his hand. Um, those are, those are things that my dad would do. And I would never shake his hand. Like I'd yeah. shake his hand with my left hand. And that's why I, I have a really strong left hand because my whole life I would try to get his left hand. Thanks again to our dads because I know both of them are listening back. Uh, we Now that you're not on we air, loved it. I will yeah. say it again. We love you. Um, yep. Thank you for doing that. Uh, moving on, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, before we go, I, I am in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I, I'm on like a – I'm calling it a mental health retreat. Uh, just LA is getting to be too much. I had to mm-hmm. step away. Um it's, it's, I am back in LA. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I stepped right in. I'm like, it's getting to be too yeah, much. We, uh, we waved at each other as we drove past <laughs> each other. Um, so I, I'm in Colorado. One thing I do when I'm traveling is I always, uh, uh, if if I can, if I can swing it, I I take a recruiting visit to the local Division One school. Um, the Division One school closest to me is color the university of colorado boulder they do the mm-hmm. as i said at the top they do the, the north boulder. carolina thing mm-hmm. um where they say you know unc chapel hill uc or cu they, boulder it's not uc that's one that's that's confusing oh. um but i, I th- that's my that's the first thing that stands out to me is they call it cu boulder and it's the university of colorado i don't the whole that that whole thing is a mess to me um you shouldn't have to call yourself boulder like you are I don't understand why UNC does that either. Why you say the Chapel Hill thing? It's like let the other satellite campuses have the designation. Like you are the school. You know what I mean? I would never call it Ohio State University, Columbus. That's absurd. Well, and there was a lot of people in North Carolina that were cheating. They were like, "I'm going to UNC," and they're like, "Oh, that's amazing." And they're like, "Asheville," and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah. or uh, Wilmington." And you're like, "Oh, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. changes things." Um. So anyway, I uh uh. As of a few hours ago, right before we recorded this, I, I spent like three or four hours on campus walking around, taking the tour, saw the facilities, uh, did the whole thing. Some initial thoughts, Tate. Um, first thing that stands out to me, I grabbed, I grabbed lunch at a place called Half Fast Subs. It was like the grungy little – like I feel like every college needs that, that sub shop that like mm-hmm. there's a noon kickoff on a Saturday football game. You go to the football game. The football game's over. Uh, you're a little drunk, but it's, it's a little too early to go out yet so you're just kind of like in that weird no man's land you go to the the grungy sub shop that has like five thousand subs listed um and and you get yourself like the big sub and and and, a, and another beer to go with it I, I feel like every college needs one of those colorado has one of those half past <laughs> subs uh it was great i had a great great sub mason crosby's jersey was hanging up they did the, they have this promotion they they, they say uh it's tattoo tuesday you get 15 percent off if you show your tattoo 
mm. on Tuesdays. You get 15% off your order. So that's I love, I love an incentive like yeah. that. That's always good. Um, also, the sub shop is on the hill is what they call it. it they have uh, This is another little note I made is that they have this area where all the bars, all the activity, whatever it is, it's called the hill. And I, I find that important. I, I feel like if you're if you're a college, having like a little area with a specific name, um, most most schools it's just like Franklin Street for North Carolina, mm-hmm. right? Would that be the mm-hmm. yep. it's High Street at, at Ohio State? Um, but but having I, I think even having a street isn't good enough. I love the fact that they call it the Hill. You know, I'm big on Legends Tate. I, I need a college to appreciate the legends that came that have played here. Um, Chauncey Billups nice. is very adequately represented. That stood out to me. That's they have good. a big sign of him. They they said uh, this is where the big shots roam, and they have Chauncey. Mm. Uh, shooting the, a big display for Chauncey. Um, he seems to be well represented. I was a little confused though because Cordell Stewart was not. I I walked around campus for four hours. I never saw any mention of Cordell Stewart. I found this shocking because Cordell Stewart is probably the second name behind Chauncey Billups that I think of when I think of Colorado sports. And I don't know if there's a story there. Uh, but if anyone knows a story, like why is, is was Cordell Stewart not as good as I remember? Is that it? But I, I figured like they would have like a statue of the guy. Like, that's, yeah, well, I, yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, I, I thought Cordell Stewart was that great, but I also don't want to yeah. say on the record that he was. And then like someone throws it in my no, face. I saw you know, so Trent Dilfer was better. They have, like they have like, they have, I, I, I got onto the football field and I, I got to walk around there a little bit. And I look up at the, the press box and it says it has all the, like, I don't know if it's retired numbers, the, the, the ring of honor, whatever it is. Uh, they have a bunch of guys and yep. Cordell Stewart was not among the guys. And I was just, I found that fat because, I would say Rashawn Salam, Cordell Stewart, those are the only two football players I would even think of. Someone says Jeremy Bloom. I might remember that, but I would never hold that off the top of my head. Um, and Mason Crosby. I completely forgot Mason Crosby played there. But Cordell Stewart, no uh, no love for him. So I, I But but forget that. We're talking basketball. What, what about Bill. Alec Burks? What about uh, George King? Was there any yeah, sort George. of – was there anything for any of those guys Spencer, on the basketball side? Spencer Dinwiddie uh, was, <laughs> was a little underrepresented, but it's still fresh. You know, you Is there a Dave Budzelic statue somewhere? <laughs> that would be Oh, great. man. So uh, that stood out to me. Chauncey, Chauncey got enough love. I, I, I love that. I got to see the gym. Um, some, some thoughts on – they call it the CU Event Center. Once upon a time, it was mm-hmm. the Coors Event Center. Um, I was told that – there was a moment in time where it was the Coors Event Center and they did not serve beer in the arena, which I found uh, very confusing. They now serve beer, but it is not the Coors Event Center. So that's, that's a little weird. It's an arena tape that you walk in at the top and then you go down. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like San Diego State. That's the one. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah that's, yep. um, and, and, and I have the same thoughts on this as I did, as we said, at San Diego State. It allows for the, uh, the old man move where you cross your arms at the top row like you're a dad at a high school game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's a plus in my book that you can do that. Uh, the goals also come down from the top. It's like Cameron Indoor Stadium where the, they're up at the ceiling, the basketball goals, and you, you have to have a janitor, like, turn the key to – Yeah, 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 to, to motorize then, them down, yeah. Yeah, and then, like, halfway through the first quarter, someone realizes – like, the first time out is calling, someone realizes that, like, the basket isn't all the way down, so, like, the janitor <laughs> tries to sneak into the back and, like – He does a little bit more. Say, yeah, he does a little bit <laughs> – and you're like, I swear, I just saw the rim move, and uh, they're like, shut, shut up, don't. don't and there's like a sleight of hand over here, like with the camera crazies to keep your eyes off of it. You're like, yeah. what's going on over here? Um, yeah, that's always good. I mean, I, I think Colorado to me, you know, you mentioned the Chauncey Billups. You sent that picture. I thought that was a great picture. I didn't, I feel like either they need to use Chauncey more as a recruiting vehicle, right, to get guys on campus and say you can be like big shot. Come mm-hmm. here for the big shots. Make big shots at big Colorado. Shots. Yeah, something like that. You know, make it a whole marketing campaign. It seems like 
if they're doing it on campus, do it nationally. I don't see I, it nationally. I don't this, see enough Chauncey in Colorado. Well, th- this comes to my next part. So I, I kind of did the good. Like there's the, there's a lot of good. For, I, I should have started with this most beautiful campus I've ever been on, and I mm. I have been uh, I I have been to. Uh, 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 I don't know other beautiful schools. I was trying to think. <laughs> Virginia has a good campus. North Carolina has a great campus. Uh, Pepperdine has a beautiful campus. UCLA. There are a lot of beautiful campuses. Colorado is the best by far to me. I've never, I've never seen, like carved into the mountains. They have like the, I think it's sandstone is what someone told me. All the mm. buildings are the exact same. They have the uniform buildings. That's um, classic. Yeah, it's it, classic it's, college. It's, yeah, it, 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 it looks great. Uh, the, the mountains make it cool. The whole the whole scene is awesome. Um, Have you seen very, the buffalo? Is the buffalo around? Is it like, like the, the LSU live, thing? Yeah, the, it's like there, the is there a live buffalo somewhere that's like they, on campus? They call it Ralphie. Um, they call him Ralphie. They have they have a a crew of people that run with the buffalo on the football yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the guy that was giving me the tour. By the way, shout out to him, Ryan. Uh, thank you so much for the tour. That was awesome. Um, he, he listens to the show. He's a friend of the program. Thank you, Ryan, and, and uh, help me out. He he told me that it, like we we're I was getting the weight room tour and he told me this weight room is just for basketball players and volleyball and, and I forget who else and he's like and then there's another weight room for uh, cheerleading and Ralphie mm. and I was like what is Ralphie and he's like oh there's that's the crew that lifts weight like they basically like work out like if you're on the Ralphie crew you have to work out and condition to like hold on to the buffalo as you're running onto the field I mean um, yeah that's not a game that's pretty dope, yeah, that's pretty yeah, dope. Yeah, yeah that is cool but like again. That is like risking, yeah. Um, I mean, that's something else. Uh, beautiful campus. They they show Chauncey love. They have the hill, the the sub shop. All that is great. Love it all. Now we got to get to the things to fix, Tate. Because as you as you're walking around this campus, you're scratching your head. You're like, how is how is Colorado not just like just powerhouse. dominating a, a powerhouse? That's how, I feel that way when I go to most college campuses. I'm like, this is beautiful. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm having a great time. <laughs> we were at SMU. We're like, how is SMU yeah, not a powerhouse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> what, what's going on here? I have a few thoughts. Number one, uh, I think the campus is too beautiful you you start racking your brain as to like who has who has a campus that like people go visit just to see how beautiful that campus is and are they good at sports and for the most part no I know a lot of Virginia fans are gonna get mad at me for that but like no one's going to Charlottesville to be like I have to see how beautiful this kid you're like I mean I'm in town I guess I'll swing by but no one's like purposely going I know of people that like purposely are like I want to go to Boulder to see that campus I want to go to Pepperdine to see that camp you know what I mean and I think about the beautiful campuses. You can't be good at sports and have a beautiful campus. I I, I firmly believe that. I think they got to like. We need some graffiti. We need to like. We need some. We need. We need to to muddy it up a little bit. It's too beautiful. It's too nice. I was gonna say the only places I can think of right are like Austin, like uh, UT Austin, and and maybe Chapel Hill or Virginia or Charlottesville. Like those are the places that are like they're pristine, but they're also so big that they have yeah. like graffiti areas, right? I that guess there's, there's graffiti yeah, yeah. areas. There, there's spots and pockets. I guess like private schools count technically. No, they. But don't. I'm talking. I'm talking yeah, public. Yeah, schools. We're talking I'm talking public schools, schools only. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I guess not. like you know Stanford's nice. They they can be good at sports. I've been told uh, by Bill Walton. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the I get what of champions. Yeah. Uh, but I think the campus is too beautiful. I think it, I think it has an adverse effect on, on their athletics. Yeah. I'll, I'll say it's that. just too um, pretty. It's yeah. too pretty. There's too much going on. Like you, you got the mountains going on. Like it's a cool shot. Uh, if you're, if you're doing an overhead view of the football stadium, but if you're like a football player at practice, you're like, man, that would be fun to be like hiking in the mountains rather than, you know, doing two days. Like I don't want to do two days. I want to go skiing or I want to do, you know, there's too much to do. There's too much going on. So I think it's too beautiful. Number two, I think they need a rebrand. Cause I, you know how I feel about, about like colors and logos and all that kind of stuff. They, they, 
they have the colors a little off. The the Colorado gold is a little off. It's a little too Purdue-ish. It's a candy ass gold. I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna come out and say it. The the black plays. The black is awesome. The black is is unbelievable. The gold is a little too candy ass for me. I think they should go back to the old school Colorado and just do like yellow. Just get yellow's like, good. Yeah, the, yellow. pure yellow. Um, I want Van that. Gogh's favorite color. Yellow pops. Uh, yeah, that's a great I think, idea. I think they got scared because like Iowa. Well, Purdue used to be black and yellow the same thing like they they, mm-hmm. they were they called it gold but it was just like yellow and then they went to the candy ass gold too uh how did iowa become like the premier black and like true yellow school like purdue and colorado were right there with them and they both just handed it over to iowa and now iowa has that and, and i don't understand it so i i want them to go back to the yellow or the or if you're going to keep the gold get like the notre dame gold because that's like a yeah. true that's a great gold um and then I want to see the logo change because right now it's just like that silhouette of a Buffalo with a CU in it. And it's just, it's, it doesn't pop for me. It doesn't play. I, I was told a lot of the Colorado people love it. Uh, I need to see a bite. I need to see a Buffalo head. I want like, I'm picturing like the Chicago bulls logo, but like a Buffalo mm-hmm. head mm-hmm. that, that would pop. That would work for me. I'm picturing, uh, I don't know, take a sailor hat on a, on a Buffalo. You know how I feel about that. Um, That'd be nice. I, I want to rebrand there. Uh, and then lastly, my last note I was going to, I was going to have on this is, uh, I think they need to pick a lane academically because I have no idea what Colorado stands for academically. I don't know if it's a good school. I don't know if it's a bad school. Does everyone get in? Is it just a bunch of potheads? Is it like actually a really premier institution? I think they're kind is of, that, is that not every state school? You know what I mean? Everyone's dude, like fine over that. <laughs> you got to pick a lane Tate. Like you got to be like, like North Carolina, you guys say you're a good school. I, I guess so. I don't know. I, I've heard otherwise from certain reports. <laughs> yeah, from Rashad McCann. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a real, a real good guy to trust for sure. But uh, I have no idea what Colorado stands for. I don't know what like the premier, like the what, what is the major that everyone majors in here? I have no idea. So I need you to pick a lane, it, even if it's a school that like is really easy to get into. Like Arizona State leans into it. Arizona State's like you will get in here. This is a party school. We produce porn stars and <laughs> will you get out? Yeah. That is the yeah, question. Was, you will, you will get in, but will you get out? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's a brand. I understand that brand <laughs> academically. Um, you know, Duke is the opposite. Duke's like, we're, we don't let anybody in. We're the best. And, and we're, we're, we turn our nose up at you. And then like, that's like a hook is like, if you're recruiting kids to Duke, you're like, yeah, and of course you get a premier, you know, education. I have no idea what Colorado stands for. So I need, I need Colorado to brand yourself as like, I, you know, like we're the Arizona state of the Rockies. Are you the Harvard mm. of the Rockies? Mm. I don't know. I'm the, mm. we're the Harvard of the Rockies. Come to, come to mm. see you Boulder, Harvard of the Rockies. That's pretty much it. That's all I had. I had other notes. I want to see Ralphie at basketball games. Bring yeah. I, I was going to say Ralphie at basketball games, like doing the, like you're talking about Wake Forest with the motorcycle. If you have a mm. Buffalo coming in full throttle, I think you're going to get people excited. Obviously Boulder's a little too weird. They have like every, every trash can, you have like five options. It's like, it, it, they care more about like, saving the environment and winning games and i think that's you know listen it's trying to win games we can't be sorting our trash we well what is bob games. knight gonna do he's yeah. gonna win games you think, you yeah. think bob knight sorting his trash before no. you know he goes out and plays north carolina in 81 no he didn't even care that the president was shot why would he <laughs> yeah. care about whether he's cycling <laughs> or land you can or, you, you know. cannot yell ort at bob knight <laughs> and him you know understand that he's like i don't know what ort is but uh, get out of my face so uh long story short i i love i love colorado i'm gonna come back for a game i love the altitude they do lean into mm-hmm. that the football love altitude. coming out of the visitors locker room there's a sign that says altitude warning 5,000 whatever feet like they try to get in the opponent's head it's like a whole thing the mm-hmm. gym was awesome the campus is beautiful um but there are a little there are a few tweaks and and uh I, I think uh I'll come back for a game and uh I'll get in the athletic departments here and we'll we'll make it happen so that's my review but but thank you to thank you to Ryan uh uh 
of, of the CU ground. He's, he's like the head groundskeeper at, at Colorado. Wow. Yeah, he, he's been there for 18 years, he told me. Um, got really excited when I asked him if you guys play on real real grass or turf. And he's like, we play on, tur- on real grass, baby. We don't do turf. <laughs> he said, never heard yeah, of turf. Never heard of turf. So uh, awesome, awesome visit. I, I would commit, but um, I'm a little too old, so. I guess I'm not. I guess I'm not going to commit. But. Just soft verbal, a soft, soft verbal, verbal commit. Yeah. Soft verbal until I go to another town mm-hmm. with a Division One school, and then, I and, and, then and then you'll <laughs> soft verbal there, and you move on to the next one. It's a it's uh, a great one. Yeah. Yeah. So all right, uh, shout outs, closeouts. Uh, shout out to Dan Wallach who was on our program not too long ago talking about Zion Williamson. Uh, as expected, that mm-hmm. was the, the the words that they used. The Duke basketball count. They quote Daniel Wallach as expected. Zion Williamson will not have to te- testify. The stay has been. Uh, you know, held and and it looks like Zion for now will not have to testify. So shout out to Daniel mm-hmm. Wallach, one getting Duke basketball to retweet him as their inside source. That was mm-hmm. great. Uh, he was on this program first, so we have to shout that out. Yep, uh, the Titus and Tate bump uh, extends to Zion Williamson, who is not going to have to testify, just like <laughs> Wallach basically told us. Uh, I yeah, want to shout out uh, Nojel Eastern, who did not get into Michigan. Uh, he he announced his transferring to Michigan, and Michigan was like. I'm sorry, what? What 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 are you trying to do here? Uh and apparently his credits didn't transfer. A lot of uh, the the internet chatter is that Michigan never wanted him, but then other people are saying that's not true cuz Juwan Howard actually talked about him in an interview one time. Um but at the same time did Juwan Howard just do that cuz he felt bad and felt like he was supposed to? I don't know. My question to you Tate, do you think Nojel Eastern, do you think Michigan ever reached out to Nojel cuz remember now, Nojel Eastern committed to Michigan like 48 hours after he entered the transfer, it was way too fast. Like mm-hmm. it, there was no way that Michigan like waited until he entered the portal. They called him and then he decided I'm going to go there. So my question to you, do you think Michigan actually knew that Nojo Eastern was coming to Michigan when he announced it? I do not think so, which is why I really love Nojo Eastern. I love the confidence. I love the bravado. I yeah. like the idea that you just put it out to the world. You manifest. It, it's very LeVar Ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just say it, and then you hope that it happens, and you live it. And uh, I think Nojo Eastern put it out to the world. I am a Michigan basketball player. I would like to play for an NBA-quality coach mm-hmm. who would get me prepared for the next level. That coach, Jawan Howard, had no idea who Nojo Eastern was at the time. I'm sure <laughs> he was like, I need to look this kid up. He was like, he's sounds, like, I, sounds great. He I watched remember, the one game I watched. He's like, this kid looks great. No, he's like, he's like, I remember playing Purdue and he didn't do anything. Is this guy was he, was he on Purdue? You said he did. Yeah. Yeah. What's his uh, last name? He's no gel. Like, um, I got a school for you. If you like candy ass gold and black, and uh, uh, you're you're looking for a school to go to, how about CU Boulder? Come to the Harvard of the Rockies, No gel. Um, no, that was that was the that was the story of college basketball this week. No gel Eastern did not get into Michigan. Uh, also want to shout out Ohio State, the Buckeyes. They scheduled mm. Alabama Tate. Have to have to shout that out that uh uh Ohio State and Alabama will be playing each other in football. The game will take place the first game of this home and home series will take place when Nick Saban is 76 years old. So mm-hmm. I'm feeling good about the Buckeyes chances cuz either Saban is going to be like in his paterno I have no idea what's going on phase of his career or Alabama is going to be in a transition period where they're trying to figure out, you know, how to live in a post How to how to fire Lane Kiffin. They're like yeah, how do we exactly. get rid of Lane Kiffin? Like why did we hire this guy? I don't know what is going on and uh that that'll be great for Ohio State at that point. Um also shout out MLB for uh being back but maybe not back and also uh ruining baseball altogether by introducing the DH to the National League. You suck. I hate you. I hate the DH. I will always hate the DH. That's mm. all I'll say on the matter. Um make the pitchers hit. I know they suck but like don't bail them out. That's a quitters mentality to say Oh, oh, you're bad at this? Oh, okay, well, oh, oh, you, you poor little thing. Come sit over here. We'll have someone else do your job for you. No, learn how to swing a goddamn bat. Like, what are we doing coddling pitchers? It's it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. Uh, 
that's it. That's all I have. We're going to do the uh, NBA update next week because uh, there have been some wild, wild developments in the NBA's quest to come back. Um, but th- we had a packed show, so we didn't have time to really get into it this week. Yeah, and uh, one last thing to shout out. DJ Carton, your boy from Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wojo. I, I mentioned Wojo at the top of this podcast with Coach K being his father. Uh, he's doing great. Wojo's getting a lot of guys in, and uh, Carton goes to Marquette, and he's immediately eligible. So the NCAA seems to do something right for the first time, which is good. Kentucky fans waiting anxiously to hear the, the word that Kate Olivier, Cunningham, yes. No, Kate Cunningham, yeah. Olivier Saar is not eligible, and then they're going to burn the world to the ground <laughs> as how everyone else is getting waivers, but he's not going to. Uh, all right, that's the show. Thank you guys for listening. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Uh, happy Father's Day to our fathers. We love you. Thanks you for coming on the show. Thank you to everyone else for listening. See you next time.